We've been following a great series. You know at Arena Church we like to really uh, flow through series. We think it's really important. And we're talking about Jesus followers. Jesus followers. You here today, there's numbers of you who are Jesus followers. There's a few people who aren't Jesus followers. You're on a journey to try and understand what Jesus and Christianity and God the Father is all about. And we welcome you here today. But the whole point is that God came to the earth in the form of Jesus, not to find out and not to try and gather converts. His heart was to gather followers. And I think sometimes in church, uh, in, in church occasions like this, we've been happy, the preacher has been happy for a hand in the air, and we think that's a great thing. But actually, what we're wanting to see, and what we've always wanted to see, is not just hands in the air of those who are committing to Jesus, but those who continue to follow Jesus. We talk about discipleship. That's another word. Jesus followers, discipleship. And we believe there are some things that you know Jesus followers do. There's, there's certain behaviors that Jesus followers practice. And one of the things that we're really, really keen to encourage is being a Jesus follower in our everyday and ordinary worlds and lives. In the ordinary, in the everyday, we become a Jesus follower. Interestingly, as you know, as you heard, I was there on Friday night. It was my joy to speak at Alton Castle. And the theme was, God is wanting to do a new thing. I said to the guys, you're not able to enter into the new thing if you don't leave behind the old thing. And if we're going to enter into the new thing, this is talking about the command of Jesus, which was, come follow me. Let me just turn your attention to those verses, because we see in Matthew and chapter 4 and verse 18, and last week, Phil actually mentioned from the, from the book of John, how, how Jesus called his disciples. But this morning, I just want to refer to Matthew 4.18. It says this, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers... I'll do what I did on Friday night. I don't know whether you'll get the same thing, but he says, yo, bro. He just reached out to them. He saw these two brothers. Yo, bro. And he saw, saw them and they saw him. And he saw that they were fishermen. Not they were actually just leisurely fishing. This was their livelihood. They were with their nets. And Jesus said three remarkable words to them that are the same words to us today. And he says to them, come follow me come follow me that's all he said he didn't try and persuade them he just said come follow me and it records in the book of Matthew that immediately at once they left their nets and followed him there's a double meaning to this word follow because it actually means to come forward but it also means to leave behind and if we're going to be a Jesus follower in Arena Church, if you are going to be a Jesus follower in your everyday, ordinary life, it means that we have to step forward, and it also means we have to leave behind. There are some things that we must leave behind for us to move forward into all that God has for us. What I do realize is that sometimes we can get so complicated in church we really can. We, 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 we promote a gospel that isn't in here. 
and we make it so difficult and so complex. And this morning, my aim is really not to be too long. Actually, I'd really like not to be too long. You say, I'd like you not, not to be too long as well. But I don't want to be too long because I just want to share some simple thoughts that just resonate from my heart as I've just been preparing my heart for this message about being a Jesus follower in our everyday, ordinary lives, our everyday, ordinary worlds, in the marketplace, in the office, in the school, in the neighborhood, wherever you are. How can we be a Jesus follower? This is what a modern-day version of Romans 12 says this, just to encapsulate this thought. In verse 1 and verse 2 of Romans 12 says this, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Just underline that in, if you're taking notes, God helping you. Because we're not going to do it without his help. Yeah. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, everybody say everyday. Every ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Is there anything more simple and basic than that? It's got sleeping, it's got eating, it's got working. It's just the ordinary, everyday, mundane stuff of life and presented before God as an offering. And then he goes on to say, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Listen, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Oh, this is a word for the church today. This is a word for this church today. Because the reality is we can so easily fit into the culture of this world. We just live the lie. We take the tablet and we swallow it. And we live the lie. And Jesus is actually saying to us today that there is a different way for us to live in our ordinary, everyday lives. He says, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. Listen to me, my friend. You're unsure about God. Let me just say this to you. God wants to bring the best out of you. God has always brought the best out of me. He, he drags out the best. Even when I don't see in myself, can anybody say an amen? There's some things I've not seen in myself. And God has just dragged it out of me. I thought, I never knew that was there. God always brings the best out of us, out of you. And develops you into a mature person. So, in our everyday, ordinary life, we're called to represent Jesus. I love the fact that we are doing growth track. I love the fact that it takes us on a journey. Next steps. We want people to know God. We want you to know God. Simply. If somebody asks what is Arena Church all about, there's all things you could say. But simply, Paul, well, there's a group of people that want to help others to know God. We also then want the next step is for people to find freedom. We want people to be free. There's people here who live with addictions, still working through addictions. And you know what I love about them? You know who you are, and you know I know who you are, but you know that I love the fact that you're here. I love that you're here. I love you guys. I love that you're on a journey. You're not quitting. You're sticking with it. You're saying, you know what, this has been my past, and it's still dragging me a little bit. But as I just move forward into Jesus, there's more and more that just cuts away in Jesus' name. Amen? I love the fact that we've got that. But listen, there's other people who haven't got, you know, known addictions, but the secret things. There's things that you've carried from your childhood. There's things that just plague you and hold you back and keep you down. 
Jesus wants to bring you into a place where you find freedom. And then he wants to bring us to the point where we discover our purpose. Where we understand what we're here for. And then we can go and make a difference. Jesus followers make a difference in our world. This is how Jesus put it. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Matthew in chapter 5. Honestly, I love Matthew 5, 6 and 7. I, I, I actually enjoy reading these chapters. I also am deeply challenged when I read these chapters as well. Because they really dig very deep in our hearts. And for anybody who's really wanting to go on this journey of being a Jesus follower, I'd encourage you to you know, commit to memory and, and commit to understanding Matthew 5, 6 and 7. It was one of Jesus' famous sermons. They called it the Sermon on the Mount. And there was lots and lots of people who were ordinary people. Some commentators, excuse the phrase, but this is an old language, they would call them peasants. They were just the normal people of the day. They weren't the high and lofty. They were the normal people of the day that came out to listen to Jesus. Jesus bared his soul. Jesus bared his soul over these three chapters And we see that he said something very remarkable in Matthew in chapter 5. And I'd love to go through all of it, but we'd be here not for a very long time. But in Matthew 5 and verse 13, he says there, and he makes this declaration, this bold declaration. He didn't say you, you, you can be the salt of the earth. He didn't say you may be the salt of the earth. He didn't say you should be the salt of the earth. He says, you are. You are. Listen to me. Nudge the person next to you and say, you are. And you might look with a face like that as you look at somebody and think, really? But you are. You are. You are the salt. And you may say, I don't understand this salt stuff. I'm going to explain it to you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He then says, you are. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. As neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The, I, I can't go there, but that last verse that we just said there, Jesus was basically saying, listen, if you'll live this, if you'll believe that you are, and you'll live this, this life of being a Jesus follower, people are going to take notice of you. They're going to say, wow, what, did it, what is it about John and Margaret Roberts? They're kind people. But there's something very, very different about these people. What is it? About these people. What is it about this church? What is it? I don't understand it. They completely confuse me. I don't understand. Yes, I love it when I hear statements like that. When I hear Christine say to me that conference people have come in and they've gone, I don't know what it is about this place. What we're talking about is Jesus residing within us and we just shine brightly. We don't even try. We just are. And Jesus is using three illustrations here. He uses a city, he uses light, and he uses salt. Let me just try and explain to you. For those who, you probably know more about it than this than me, but the whole thought of Jesus 
using these illustrations was because these were common to all the people. They understood it. He wasn't talking about gold that these lowly people didn't have or lots of riches. He didn't use that as an illustration. He used an illustration that they really understood. And he used it salt. Because interestingly, salt now, I mean, you can buy it for 19p from O Bargains and we throw it on our chips and we love it. I mean, who likes, who, who, I can't eat fish and chips without salt and vinegar. Anybody with me? Raise your hand if that's, yeah. That, oh, but some of you aren't with me. I just love, I just love, and the more we can put on, you know what I love when I have a cob on it as well? I love to drench the cob with vinegar and salt and just, oh, mm, mm, look. You all need saving, you guys. I'm telling you, you all need redeeming. Salt. You may say, I've come to church and heard about salt. Yeah, because it's really important. Jesus used this illustration because there's three things that he wanted to say about salt. First of all, salt then was very precious. It was actually a valued commodity. It was very, very valuable. And I, I did a bit of research this week and I was really impacted by this. Because you know how you use this phrase, he was worth his salt? That's where it came from, from Roman times. Because some of the Roman soldiers were paid in salt because it was so valuable. And that's why they said he's worth his salt. You see, salt is precious, it's valuable. Secondly, salt preserves. It still does today. You know, they use salt to preserve meats, to stop it from rotting. Particularly, in, it's great to have Mike and Maggie back with us and some of our you know, friends over the, because we're still part of Europe, just, okay, over in France and Germany and all the rest of it, they would, they would be inclined to this because they've not got the refrigeration and they would create meats and whatever and they'd fill them with, with salt to just preserve the meats. There's a preservation that salt brings. And thirdly, not only was it precious, not only does it preserve, but it's flavorful. Like I've said, I just love it. You know, my dad's not here this morning, but he cannot eat tomatoes on toast. That's one of his favorite meals without loads of salt and pepper. Anybody with us? On there? Oh, there's a few more ones. Yeah, I just pile it on. I mean, my dad's awful. In fact, if I can say John Turner at times, I have to watch him. My father-in-law, I've just watched you. It's all right shaking your head, you know, a little bit of salt there. When Sandy's not looking, she's, she's doing something, you know, he's on the... No, he's not. Okay. Salt is flavorful. Salt is flavorful. Not too much, but it just adds a bit of flavor. So this whole thought of salt being precious, you are precious. What you bring to this world is precious. Secondly, salt preserves. You know, as a result of us living out our lives as we should do with, for Jesus, we're holding back the tide. There's something about you in that workplace that actually preserves. Preserves in your office, in that school. There's, there's a hold, there's a pushing back. I've just been more and more aware, you know, why we need to be the church that arises. Because without us, this world, world is very, very dark. That's why we need to pray. There's one here for police officers. We need to pray for those who are in the public areas. We need to pray for them that God would help them to stand out and shine brightly for Jesus. And also, we're flavorful. Listen to me, I am really sorry, I've said this many times, I'm sure I'll say it before. If this is your first time to church, or if you've just you know, had a bad experience of church, I apologize on behalf of that bad experience, because we have not presented Jesus well. We've presented Jesus well as something very weak, uh, 
pathetic, you know, um, boring, irrelevant. Um, uh, a guy who I had a little bit of contact with many years ago by the name of Dave Gilpin used to say how the church should never be beige. <laughs> now, actually, I quite like beige in our house, so please don't get on, get on to us. We like just more of the neutral colours. But what he's basically saying is there's colour, there's flavour, there's life to Jesus' followers. And now I understand some people want quietness, but you can still have quietness and excitement, can't you? But we've made the church and we've made Jesus incredibly boring. I'm really not knocking this. I, I, I've got to use it as an illustration. So on Friday, because of the, with the facility they were using, there was, a lot of, um, there was a lot of visual forms of Jesus on walls and uh, even a statue. And I will do it. There was Jesus. He was stood like this. Well, my son is a massive basketball fan. And Stephen Curry, who's his favourite player, would go up and he'd he'd land land a basket and then he would go like this. He'd point like this. So our Isaac's there stood like this, thinking it's Stephen Curry giving it the the large. You know, would Jesus look like this? You know, Jesus looked like... It just looked weird. It just, you know... And this is the part of the problem, that we've not presented Jesus particularly well. And Jesus and Jesus' followers are flavorful. They are full of color. They are full of adventure. They are full of excitement. There's something about them, deep within them. They know how to party, but we don't need to get bladdered to do it. Hello? We, we, know how, we know how to let our hair down without it going absolutely astray. You know, there's nobody like Christians. I love it when there's parties that happen, and I've been to them, and then there's been some uh, unchurched people there, and they've gone, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Well, how much fun you're having, and nobody's drunk. I love it when it's like that, because that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Jesus was saying here to a group of people that actually you are salt. You are full of preciousness. You, you preserve. You bring flavor to this world. And Jesus didn't say, you will become. He said, you are. He said, you are the salt. You are the light. You are that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And that's Simon to just help me because I want to just hand something out to you. As a, I want you to put it in your, in your wallet. I want you to put it in your purse. I want you to put it somewhere where you'll have to open it up every single day. And uh, basically, it's, it's, it's nothing be beyond a salt sachet. I don't want you to use it if you've run out and they didn't put enough on in your chip shop. I want you to keep it there. But I want just pass them down. Just do it quietly. I want you to take this salt sachet. I want you to take this salt sachet because I want you to use this as a reminder that you are called to be a Jesus follower. And God says, you are salt in this world. Now, you might say, as you're, just, as you're doing that, okay, I get the salt bit, but how does this actually work out? Because here's another thing. One of the things that I'm absolutely committed to is not just saying you should, but then also showing people how. Because I can tell my kids, kids, you need to do X, Y, Z, but they don't know how to do it. Hello? So it's no good us saying to you, you know, this is what we should. We need to be a Jesus follower. You need to be a Jesus follower. Well, yes, we do need to be Jesus followers. But how does this work out day by 
day. And there's three simple thoughts, three qualities, three values that I think are completely underrated in this upside down world. But they are absolutely essential if we are going to shine bright and if we are going to be salt and if we are going to be that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let me just say before I tell you what they are, these three qualities, listen to me very carefully, these are not exclusive to just Christians. Because actually these three qualities that I talk about, I see in many of my unchurched friends at different levels. In fact, if I can say on occasions over the years, I've seen some unchurched people live out one or two of these qualities better than some of my church friends. So these are not just an exclusive, you know, that we have exclusivity on them. But all I will say is this, all three of these qualities should be evident in Christ's followers' lives. So this is the big test for us all today, that if there's one of these areas where we feel like we're just off the pace, then at the end we're just going to say, God, we ask that you would help us, reminded of Romans 12, that we can't do it outside of God helping us. But these are qualities that actually will shine very bright and will bring flavor and will bring, uh, 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 will, will bring uh, help. And, and, will sh- and, and will shine bright in this world. So here's the three. First of all, and I told you it was going to be a simple message, I think kindness is an incredible quality. We'll read in Colossians 3 and verse 12. There's many references to this, but there's just one that I want to just uh, mention today. This is what it reads. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves... You need to clothe yourself with a number of things. First of all, tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are some of the qualities that, that Paul was saying to this church. But I just want to, for this morning, just touch on and zone into the word kindness. Many people don't show kindness because it's been, uh, uh, people have looked on at kindness and they thought that it's weakness. Hello? And some of you in the marketplace, some of you in your jobs have thought, I can't show any kindness because if I show any kindness, it looks like it's weakness. And I think that is a lie of the enemy. Because actually it is our duty and it is a command for us to clothe ourselves with kindness. That means we are kind to our neighbours. It means we are kind to our work colleagues. It means we are kind to our spouses. It means we are kind to our, to our children. It means we are kind in this church. It means we are kind when we're at the supermarket and somebody is irritating the heck out of us because they're fumbling around at the till. Or somebody hasn't had their kindness that you've only got three items and they've got 300 items and they've clocked you and they thought, Stuffy, I'm still putting them on anyway. <laughs> How kind are we going to be? Kindness. Kindness. It's, it's a virtue. It's a duty that we are called to. And I believe that if we will show kindness, then we are becoming even more brighter and even more saltier in this world. 
I think it was John Maxwell, a leadership guru, who said this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There are some people who baffle you with every statistic. They, 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 know every, they know every intellectual argument. They are so well-read. They are so well-learned. learned, And they're just, they're just incredible people in their minds and their capacity. But they don't listen. They don't care. They don't give you their, their, their eye contact. All they want to do is just show, tell you how good they are or, or how clever they are. And actually all people are interested in is knowing how much you care. Knowing how much you care is another thought that has really impacted me. Both of these phrases have impacted me recently over a number of years. If you want to be understood, you have to first understand. And if you're one of these people who always want to get your point across, and there are many of us, I'm going to get my point across you know, listen, sometimes you've got to learn to just take a step back and just understand. And then you have a fair chance of being understood. I thought about people who've shown kindness to me. And I remember them. I remember some school teachers who were kind to me. Yes? I remember some people in our old church when I was, when I was a really young who were kind to me. I remember them. I remember their names. I remember the fact that it was a day then when you was able to do this without it looking all funny. They'd give you a sweet. Sometimes they'd give you a pack of sweets. Why did they do that? Because they were kind people. They just showed kindness. And then I also thought about some people who might have been impressive and full of charisma, but I couldn't really remember their names. (laughs) Funny that, isn't it? Because kindness was an incredible quality that they had and they showed. You see, we need to learn as Christian people, and this is where it's deeply challenging for everybody, but it's almost impossible if you don't know Jesus, how do you show kindness to those who are unkind? And this is what Jesus is asking us to do. So even those who are unkind, how do we show kindness? Well, we can't do it on our own, but we can do it with, through him. And I believe that as we show kindness to that boss who's very unkind, then it will win him through, it will win him over. I believe as we show kindness to that neighbor who isn't particularly kind with you, but you're going to show kindness to, and even if they don't say hello to you, you're going to continue to say hello. And there was many, many years ago, the first house that we ever owned, I don't know why to this day, why this happened, but the, 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 the lady who lived next door, from, from the day we moved in to the day we left, she never, ever acknowledged me or Caroline. Never. Never said hello. We used to say to her, and we still did it, say, good morning. She'd look, and she'd walk away. It was bizarre. It really was bizarre. But we just continued to show Kindness. Here's a thought here. You know, sometimes we can be harsh. That's the opposite to kindness. This is what it says to husbands. Colossians 3 verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with with her. Do not be harsh with her. That's that's a tough one. Some of the husbands now are making repair, I can see already. This is what it says in Proverbs 15 verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
And this is very much pertinent for men because, as I said, we have a bit of bravado. And if we show any sign of kindness, we think it's going to be interpreted as weakness. So we keep the stiff upper lip and we keep the hard exterior and we keep the Alan Sugar kind of, you know, you're fired kind of, you know, attitude there. You know what? I just think if we show just some more kindness to one another, I think if we just showed kindness to this world, I, I guarantee you, if you go out and smile at the assistant over in Tesco, or smile as you're being served food today, they'll, they'll think, what's all this about? But if you keep going back there, it'll start to speak to them, because they're not used to it. This is what Mark Twain said, let's move on quickly. Kindness is the language which the deaf hear and the blind can see. Secondly, value, integrity. If we want to be a Jesus follower in our everyday ordinary lives, let's show kindness and let's live with integrity. And this means maintaining integrity. This means to live right and then everyone will notice. Somebody said this, integrity is choosing comfort, sorry, courage over comfort, choosing what is right over what is fun, fast or easy, and choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them. C.S. Lewis said this, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. One of my mentors over many years, I don't mind saying who it is, Pastor David Sherman, many, many years ago said to me, Christian, you do the right thing even when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. And that'll speak. You keep doing the right thing when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. We had an instance this week. Something happened in the office many, many years ago. Something happened. We had an opportunity to not be kind, not be helpful. Something came in, a request came in. And my wife, who handles some of the PA secretarial things for me, she came to me. She says, this is going to be an unusual one and this is going to test you. And she told me. And she says, because I know what I feel like doing. And I feel like I passed this. She wanted to really give it to this. And I, and I said, no, Caroline. I mean, she wouldn't have done. I said, Caroline, we'll do the right thing. Even if everybody else does the wrong thing. It's not taking the high ground. It's just doing the right thing. It's integrity. And living with honesty. You know, my mum and dad always taught me honesty is always the best policy. I'm glad they ingrained that into me because otherwise I would have been an absolute liar. No, I, I, could, I, just, I just thought I could lie myself, lie, lie my way out of things. As a kid, you know, my mum would say to me, at Lee's at school, he was three years older than me, I, I was at home and she would say to me, have you done this? I said, no, Lee's done it. Lee wasn't even there. He was at school. I just, I just had a, a, you know, tr- I'm glad they, they, they laid into me, listen to me, if you don't tell the truth, you will be caught out. Because what I've realised is this, you can smell it. I'm not going to say it, but... And what happens, the smell becomes stronger. Because one lie moves into another lie, into another lie. Can I hear a big amen? And actually, honesty is always the best policy. Proverbs 10 verse 9 says this, People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. So who are you when no one is looking? Who am I when no one is looking? Because these are the things that are going to scream out to the marketplace and scream out to the world. Because they're going to say, that person there 
They are so full of integrity. They are so full of honesty. You could, you could trust them with your own kids. You could trust them with the, with the checkbook of the company. And we know that nothing would go astray. So what are we like when no one's looking? You see, what happens is we think no one's looking. We actually think that God's not looking. That's how affairs start. Because my wife's not seeing, but there's one who does see everything. Lies. Or tell, it's, it's just a white lie. You know, you know, there's no such thing as white lies or grey lies. They're just lies. Cheating. Tax forms. Expense scandals. They don't just happen with the MPs. They happen in companies all across this land. Half-hearted in our work. What it'll do. I once heard one tradesman say, oh, it'll do for this house. Do you think that's integrity? By the way, do you think I'd ever hire this, this tradesman who ever said that? He thought it was clever. The lack of integrity. Don't care whose house it is. If we're going to do a job, let's do it properly. and Let's do it well in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's live with integrity. And thirdly, very quickly. Hard work. You may say, really Christian? Hard work? Yeah, I've really... There's numbers of qualities that we could have looked at. And they're all incredible and important but I narrowed it down to these three things that I just think will speak very very strongly in the, in the marketplace and in the workplace and in our everyday ordinary lives show kindness live with integrity and work hard I am glad that both of my parents taught me the virtue and the value of working hard Proverbs 14 verse 23 and this was nailed into me through another mentor of mine Pastor George Ridley. And his, and his mantra, and interestingly, I was with one of his uh, staff members uh, three weeks ago, and he quoted this, and I went, Pastor George, he went, oh yeah, he's still quoting it all around the world. It's still the same. And this is what it says in Proverbs 14, verse 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. There are some people who are always going to do I'm going to do, I'm going to do. I'm go- if you're a going to, start doing. Because hard work will bring profit to you. This is what a coach, a football coach once said. Hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn up their sleeves, some turn up their noses, and some don't turn up at all. And if we are going to shine in this world, then I believe hard work is an incredible value that we have and that we have to show because there are so many people in your workplace who will just do a half-hearted job. They'll just do enough and, well, it'll be all right. No, let's, let's go above and beyond. Let's do more than we need to do. And let's not always be thinking, well, they'll pay me extra overtime. Let's just do what we need to do, you know, to, to make ourselves shine like, like, like brights in this dark world. I want to tell you, if we'll live with kindness, if we'll live with integrity, if we'll live with the principle of working hard, it will shine very bright. And we will be salt in this world. In Jesus' name. These three values, as I finish, should be evident. Should be evident in every Christ follower. These three qualities should be evident in every Christ follower. We've got some wonderful neighbours. 
where we live. None of them know Jesus. None of them know Jesus. But they are wonderful, wonderful neighbours in many ways. And they show some of these qualities incredibly well. But what I will say is this. I'm sure, I've not spent sufficient time to know this, but I'm not sure they would exude, exude the Christ quality of kindness. Because it's easy to be kind to those who are kind to you. But to those who aren't particularly kind, you want to give back to them the measure which they've measured to you. Hello? But we are called as Christ followers to show kindness to all kinds of people. You know, it's easy to live with integrity in certain things because we say that value we place. So some of you will have an integrity in your marriage and it's wonderful. But then in other areas, you may say, well, it's okay to do that. It's okay to just tell a little bit of lie. It's okay to have a bit of gossip around the, the, fo- the photocopier in the office. Is it? As Christ followers, we actually take integrity in its wholeness. We say we want to live out in every area of our lives this integrity. And sometimes with hard work, it's easy to say, well, I'm going to shrink off. I'm going to, slink, I'm, I'm going to you know, uh, slip back. That boss deserves this. I'm not giving him my all. But as Christ followers, even if we're serving a, an unscrupulous boss, we say, you know what? Because we're serving him, we're going to work very hard. And we're going to believe that God, and we know that God sees it, we're going to believe that we will be honoured as a result of it. This is what I'm talking about. This is what this Bible is talking about when it talks about being a Jesus follower. Have you got it? So I wonder if we'd bow our heads.